0: This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, Season 2, Episode 17. Super spreaders of COVID-19. Who are they, and what can we do to stop them? We have all read of the 80-20 rule in business. 80% of your new revenues comes from 20% of the sales team. And as you analyze other human activities, the same pattern seems to emerge. 20% 20% of the actors account for 80% of the results. Well, it may not surprise you that uh, to learn that the old 80-20 rule seems to apply in the case of COVID-19 infections. 80% of new infections are caused by a relatively small number of infectors. And what is worse is that some of the infectors do not even have any COVID-19 symptoms. In other words, they are asymptomatic and appear to be healthy for all intents and purposes. But how do we know who these silent agents of infection are? The point is, we don't know, nor do they. But the most effective way to guard against super spreaders is to assume that everyone is potentially a super spreader and everyone should wear a mask, wash their hands, socially distant, wear gloves. In addition, most coronaviruses are cluster infection prone and they thrive in crowded enclosed spaces. So that is our subject in today's podcast. But before we do a deeper dive, into the science of COVID-19 transmission, let's take a look at the super spreader of all time, Typhoid Mary. Who was she? Why was she such a threat? And how was she neutralized as a public health menace? And yes, it has to be said, super spreaders are a public health menace and they need to be identified, isolated, treated, and tracked. Mary Mallon was born in Ireland in 1869, and she died in New York in 1938, where she was held in quarantine, effectively a prisoner, for over 30 years. Unbeknownst to her and the medical science of the early 20th century, she was an asymptomatic carrier of typhoid all of her life, and she became known as Typhoid Mary. She trained as a cook, and she was employed as a cook. By the late 1800s, it was discovered that typhoid was caused by a microorganism, and that typhoid fever could be transmitted by a toxin present in excrement, and that contaminating water by feces of such patients transmitted the disease. Hand-washing seemed to be the most effective way to avoid propagating the disease. When Mary Mallon came to the United States in 1883, she was 14 years old. She then trained for 10 or 15 years in domestic service. By 1906, she was hired as a cook for a very wealthy family in New York. However, within a short time, six of the 11 people in the household had come down with typhoid fever. And at that time, typhoid had a 10% fatality rate, and it mostly affected the poor immigrant classes in large cities such as New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago. And they lived in tenements. They had poor sanitation. Personal hygiene was perhaps not what it should have been. And for the most part, typhoid was seen as a disease of poverty and a disease of poor sanitation and bad personal hygiene. But when Mary remained healthy and six of her 11 members of the household became ill, that caused some concern and raised some eyebrows. Subsequently, Mary left the employment of that family, and the family employed a sanitary engineer to do some forensic investigation. The sanitary engineer, who was actually called Mr. Sober, came in. He checked the sanitation, the water supply, the drains, everything checked out. But at that point, Mary had also checked out of the family and had moved on to work for someone else. She didn't quite understand how she could remain healthy. The other members of the family could be sick. But she didn't give a great deal of thought to it. In any case, Mr. Sober, the sanitary engineer, followed her around New York and tracked her down. And he was suspecting that she was actually the cause of the typhoid infection. So he tried to get her to take tests, urine tests, stool samples, blood tests, but she refused because she thought she was perfectly healthy. And subsequently, for a number of years, uh, as she changed her job and she changed her name, uh, but she continued to cook. And she continued to cook for wealthy, well-to-do families in domestic service. But she was leaving a trail of infections in her wake. She was identified as the first known healthy carrier in the United States who carried the typhoid infection, but never showed any symptoms and never contracted it herself. She was documented to have infected 122 people with typhoid, and at least five of those people who were infected had died. Mary finally was committed to a public hospital in the Bronx in 1915, and she died there 23 years later in 1938. She was effectively a public health prisoner because the public health authorities knew that if she was released, she would go back to do what she had always done, which was cook. And once she started cooking again, the typhoid cases would follow in her wake. She was both a tragic victim herself and a public health threat at the same time. Now, how does her case apply to the COVID-19 pandemic responsible for 100,000 fatalities in the United States and over 1.6 million COVID-19 infections? That brings us to the concept of the super spreader of COVID-19 and the 80-20 rule. There are two epidemiology concepts I want you to consider. One is the R factor, and the R factor is the average number of people a carrier of COVID-19 can infect. And the other term is the K factor. And the K factor Is how evenly a disease spreads. The K factor for coronavirus, in general, is low. In other words, one person can infect a very large number of people. The London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine estimates that the K factor for COVID-19 is 0.10, that is to say, 90% 90% of COVID 19 infections come from 10% of COVID 19 infectees. That's amazing. That 10% of the COVID 19 victims are responsible for 90% of new COVID 19 infections. That's the super spreader concept right there. And the K factor actually measures and quantifies that super-spreader concept, which is common in coronaviruses. Additionally, coronaviruses appear to occur in clusters, according to the University of Hong Kong. So if the majority of new cases are in clusters, which are often social situations, but They also occur in multiple overcrowded housing units. Why can't the public health authorities simply put their resources, our resources, into those threatening venues and controlling those threatening venues? Now, as the economy reopens and society reopens, maybe we maintain a ban on all social events of more than five or 10 people so that we can avoid the prospect of another cluster occurring and cluster infections. Further, victims of superspreaders actually had worse or more multiple symptoms, on average four symptoms of COVID-19 versus 2.5 symptoms of COVID-19 for people who had been infected by a non-superspreader. So not only does the superspreader have the ability to infect a very large number of people, it seems that they actually give a more intense experience and a more intense version of the virus itself with an average of four symptoms per infectee versus 2.5 symptoms in the case of someone who's been infected by a non-superspreader. So who are the superspreaders? Let's start with the coronavirus and its transmission. And the other coronaviruses, such as MERS, SARS, share some of these features with COVID-19. The virus itself is contained in droplets that are aerosol, and expelled through the mouth by coughing, talking, sneezing, singing, shouting, and again, loud talking. The droplets are lightweight, and as a result, they can travel several feet. And as they travel several feet, and because they are lightweight, they can remain suspended in the air for minutes at a time. So, you have these droplets, highly contagious, which have been expelled from the superspreader's mouth, which are hanging in the air. And as you come close to that superspreader and you breathe in the air in the space where the superspreader is located, you're actually breathing in the infected droplets which remain suspended in the air. It's a very insidious virus. The manner in which people speak or sing, and there have been multiple instances of cluster infections in choirs, in churches, in singing groups. We've heard about cluster infections in vigorous group exercise classes like Zumba or spinning classes. That is the mechanism by which the virus is introduced to the to the victims of COVID-19. A recent documented case of a symptomatic young man who visited several clubs and bars in Seoul, South Korea, is a case in point. And it was only as a result of meticulous tracing and tracking of the other people. Who had been at those clubs and bars at the same time as he, that the public health authorities in Seoul were able to identify 170 new COVID-19 cases that this young man had actually propagated during a night on the town in Seoul, Korea. So social situations And in particular, enclosed crowded spaces and a reduced relaxed immunity, perhaps because of alcohol or uh, some some drug, all played a role in the transmission of the COVID-19 virus to the 170 people who were there in the bars and the clubs with him. Which is really quite amazing. It also underscores the importance of tracing and tracking just as the so the sanitary engineer Mr. Sober, in the case of Miss of uh, Mary Typhoid Mary, he traced and tracked her down. The tracing and tracking, which he did a hundred years ago, is still what seems to work and what worked in the case of Seoul, South Korea. And I'm hoping that as we, open up our economy and open up our society, that our public health authorities have employed the traces and the trackers that they promised that they would. Clusters of new COVID-19 cases are more likely in an enclosed space. That goes without saying. A recent study in Japan shows that indoor infection is 19 times more likely than outdoors. 19 times more likely. So Japan's health strategy, or at least part of its health strategy, now relies heavily on telling the Japanese people to avoid enclosed, crowded conditions anywhere, in shops, bars, restaurants. Clusters tend to also occur in loud places, not quiet places. So the crowded, loud, lively environment is something and a place that you need to avoid. Um, Slow, gentle breathing is not seen as a high transmission risk factor, but deep, heavy breathing and shouting is regarded as a high-risk factor for contracting COVID-19. Also, COVID-19 patients are not consistently highly contagious though we don't know when precisely they stop being highly contagious and become less contagious. So once they have COVID-19, you have to assume that they're contagious, but there are moments during their illness when they are less contagious or not quite as contagious as they were earlier. So to come back to our opening, who are the super spreaders and how can we protect ourselves against them? Well, you and all of us are potentially superspreaders. No one walks around with a scarlet S on their chest saying super-spreader. We have to assume the superspreader can be anyone. But if two people each wear masks, remain socially distant, wear gloves, and avoid loud, crowded places... Their risk of contracting COVID 19 is negligible. We are learning more about COVID 19, and our nine week confinement at home has given us all an opportunity to change our conduct and to minimize our risk of infection. We need to continue those new habits and that conduct as society reopens. And in fact, we need to double down on that, those new practices because there will be so many people out there who won't have the mask, who won't be socially distancing. So we need to be especially vigilant to continue those new habits and that new conduct. It's especially important as we reopen the economy and society to practice those simple but effective policies. So as restaurants and bars reopen, go for the outdoor patio dining option. When your gym reopens, avoid the group exercise class. No more Zumba, no more spinning. In a, And you may have to give up that karaoke bar evening or even give up the singing in the choir in your church but it will make a distinct it will make a distinct difference our sources for today's podcast include the financial times science magazine biography.com and science direct this is the san francisco experience with your host jim hurley Signing off from America's favorite city, San Francisco.